I'm Matt Downing, and welcome to Diving Deep EDU. Curious conversations with all types of peeps. Encouraging innovation, we are diving deep. Certainly education is what we like to speak. Fervent with dedication, now it is time to teach. Hey everyone, and thanks for joining me on Diving Deep EDU. This podcast is based in conversations that are willing to go off on a rabbit trail or two in order to find those aha moments. Those times when someone is able to say something in a way that brings increased clarity. Now, I'm an educator, so much of our conversations will have that as the end goal. How can the things that we are talking about help us to dive deeper into educational practices? Thanks for tuning in. Our guest is Tony Vincent. Tony has been a pioneer in digital learning since 1998. He has been a classroom teacher, technology coach, full-time consultant. Tony is an author, blogger, presenter, and leader of online workshops. Tony is also the founder of Shapegrams. Tony, thank you so much for joining me. How are you doing? Uh, It's my pleasure to be here, and I'm doing great. Great. Tony, I have to start off this conversation going back in time a bit. 2001, you started a one-to-one initiative with Palm Pilots. Let's ask the question everyone's wondering, what in the world are Palm Pilots? Uh, they, they were the thing back then. So before smartphones and things like iPod touches, there were little handheld devices called Palm Pilots. And you'd poke at them on the screen with a stylus. They're usually black and white, but there were some color ones. And there were some apps that you could load on them. And so back in 2001, really my dream would have been to have a laptop for every student. But laptops are like $4,000 each. So that wasn't happening. But these Palm Pilots were like $400 each. And you could get a little keyboard to go with it. And my school district tried a pilot project to see what it was like when every student had a little computer in front of them. And we ended up doing some really cool things with them. Yeah. So what were some of the things that you did with the Palm Pilots? Well, First of all, it was nice that students had a word processor with them all the time. That's something we probably take for granted now, but uh, with so many one-to-one initiatives everywhere. But uh, just being able to type things was, was amazing. But my favorite app was one called Sketchy, where students would draw a picture and then they could duplicate to the next frame, make tiny changes, duplicate to the next frame so that they're making like flipbook style uh, animations. And those could even be saved as GIFs. And I still have some of those that I like to look at sometimes and show them as examples because when my students took the time to animate something like that, they understood it completely because that animation process does take time and thought and creativity and problem solving. How reliable uh, were those devices? 
they're really reliable. They didn't go online. So uh, everything was stored on the device, but students could beam things to me. So it had a little infrared uh, sensor in it. And like your TV remote control kind of works through infrared, they could send information. If they made something in Sketchy, we'd just point our devices at each other and it, it was kind of slow. It would, it would take a good like 30 seconds to to send some things that were larger file sizes. And then I could then through a, a USB cable, get them onto my computer. And then we we had a class website where we put a lot of our creations and uh, but they were they were they were pretty reliable as long as we we made sure to make sure they were charged. How did you see that that um, increased student engagement? Like, take for example, we could stick with that sketchy um, example or or another one that you can think of. Yeah, well, it just all the benefits that we see in educational technology now. I saw so many of them with the Palm Pilots. Really, just having a central place for students to keep their stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so they don't lose them. Like there, there wasn't an app for keeping like their vocabulary words, like, and their like kind of like their personal word wall. So since they didn't have any phone numbers and things to keep in the address book app, we use that as our glossary. So they would add their vocabulary words to the address book and then put definitions in there. And then there was this view that you looked at, you could see the word, but not the definition yet until you, you clicked it. So it made a nice study tool as well. Uh, and then the things they typed, there's a little version of like Microsoft Word on there. So those things were always kept. Uh, we had a little uh, camera device that plugged into the SD card slot so that students could take pictures. So I had one student designated every day a different student as the roving reporter. And their job was that they could get out of their seat anytime they wanted, take pictures, mm -hmm. But they had extra homework. They took their Palm Pilot home and wrote an article about our learning that day. And they oh, brought wow. it in the next day. The student and I conferenced and we got it up on our website. Today, you'd call that a blog. Blogging wasn't really a, a word people used, or at least that I was aware of back then. Uh, so we, we just called it the Daily Planet because our website was called Planet Fifth. And hmm. so then at the end of the school year, we had an accounting of every day of fifth grade uh, written from the point of view of a student. It was a really neat experience. And my whole like grammar and writing lessons my, just really revolved around that we were having one of our classmates write something about what we were doing every day. Yeah, that sounds super fun and exciting. Um, and it, it really demonstrates the way technology was able to begin to transform the learning. And I do want to talk uh, more about that. But, I, but I'm really curious about um, the one-to-one -one implementation. So thinking back to there and thinking uh, currently, how have we gotten better with our one-to-one -one implementation and what do you think still needs work? Well, the, the support is definitely there now. Back when I was doing Palm Pilots, there, you know, there were just a handful of teachers across the, the country who were using those weird devices in such a way. I remember this was like the school district never did this, but they said, Tony, if you can find a conference anywhere in the United States that would help you use these things, we'll, we'll pay for you to go. And I'm like, what? That's what? Well, as a teacher, I know you never paid anywhere. Like, wow, this is great. So I searched high and low and there was nothing. <laughs> so I, I didn't have anywhere to go to, to learn about it other than really online. And uh, that's kind of how my learning in hand website got started. It was originally about Palm Pilots and now it's just expanded to everything. 
but really the difference is now inside of school districts, when they do a one-to-one, they typically have a support program in place. The support people are there to help. Their curriculum is kind of based around it. So the, and the amount of resources available in district and online for whatever device you're using nowadays, Chromebooks, iPads, other laptops, uh, you know, it's almost overwhelming the amount of resources and possibilities that, that are available today. So you see the support as, as definitely a huge difference then versus now. It's, it's definitely gotten better. Are there, are there any things that you think uh, still need to be added to help us uh, sort of roll out these one-to-ones in a, in a better, more fluid way? I just think really the, the, the best way for a teacher to get their head around it is to walk into other classrooms that are doing it well. Mm. You know, and, and that's something that teachers don't get a chance to do too often is to just spend some quality time in another classroom, just taking it in, maybe even joining the students and doing the activities along as a students from the student's point of view, just to see how the, the workflow works, the, the, the verbiage the teacher uses, the, uh, the policies, the procedures, the protocols that, that teachers use so that, you know, when another teacher who's new to this coming into it, or even if they've done it for a while, they can see like a better way to do things instead of, taking time to stumble upon it themselves, somebody has already got it figured out. Yeah, it's interesting, uh, and I really appreciate your perspective, and it's interesting to think about uh, the one-to-one because it is a big um, undertaking with lots of uh, you know complex issues revolving around it. But I, I would like to get your insight uh, a little bit more um, about technology in, in sort of a deeper way. Um, in what ways do you think technology has uh, transformed the learning experience? Well, I think a really big way it's transformed is that learning isn't just within the four walls of the classroom anymore. Hmm. You, know, you can bring resources in, you know, Google Maps. <laughs> the students can be transported anywhere on their computer screens. Uh, there are videos from all parts of the world. And then what students create doesn't just, you know, go on the wall and in on a display bulletin board in the hallway or in the classroom, what students create and what they can do can be shared with the world and they, with their communities, and they can have a, a, a bigger impact. The, what, the work that they do can actually make a difference elsewhere. Yeah, for those uh, listening and they're thinking, yes, yes, I want to do that, um, but they haven't done that yet. Uh, would you be able to give them an example of how to sort of take down those four walls of the classroom and allow children to explore and really expand their learning? Yeah, a, a few ways. Uh, one is one that I, that I stumbled upon before really I had a website. So this was, this was back in like 1998, but you could still do it today. And that is like, I wanted to rethink student book reviews. Would students read a book and then they would <clears throat> write a book review. When I first started teaching, I'd print them off and I'd bind them into this beautiful book. I laminated a cover that one of the students designed and it was our like, an anthology of book reviews for the first quarter of fifth grade. And it sat on a shelf. The kids really didn't yeah. pull it off too much. Um, Though I, it, I mean, it was shiny. It looked great, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but then I thought, you know, I, I, what if what if 
their their book reviews could could matter more in in a bigger way. And back in the late '90s, you couldn't. You know, there's no website creators, no blogs, wikis, things like that. But the one place where I could post and other people could see is Amazon.com. And so once I tweaked my book reviews to be, oh, well, you're going to type this and then um, I'm going to post it as a review on Amazon.com. So in your book review, put the number of stars, write about what you like, and then your review. So you read this book and now you're telling people if they should spend their time and their money on this book. And it, it to Amazon's credit, some of those book reviews, I think they're all still online like yeah. from, from years and years ago. So people are reading those reviews and taking what my fifth graders had to say and and basing their financial decisions mm-hmm. <laughs> partly on reviews that they're reading. And so it, it was you know a, d- a different way than just having them sit on a shelf. Yeah, that was probably a lot of work for you too to to bind that book, to make it, spend the yeah. money to, to laminate it. Um, I love that example, Tony. That that is great, and that's something that someone could listen to this right now. They could take that into their classroom, and they could do that today, right? And that that's real, authentic learning. the The student is writing a book review that they read. They're 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 posting it to the world to read, and they're going to influence. Yeah, your fifth graders have influenced a ton of buying decisions, it would be really interesting to go back and look at their uh, reviews and you can see how many people have like given it a thumbs up. <laughs> Some of them might be in the thousands, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That, that freckle juice review has been there for <laughs> 20 years, you know? <laughs> and then it doesn't just have to be books, you know, everything's mm-hmm. on Amazon now. Yeah. So depending on what the teacher is teaching, but you know, you could be persuasive and try mm-hmm. to get others to buy a product that you think is really great, or maybe they're being descriptive and they're writing a narrative of exactly what a product does. So for writing and you want an authentic audience, mm-hmm. writing reviews is, is a really good way to go and really motivating for students. They, they don't feel like they're just doing it for a grade. They feel like they're doing it for a, a valid reason, a real world reason. Tony, you support great teaching. That's that's one of your um, visions, right? It's, it's very concise and specific, and I love it. What are some ways that you do that? Well, for me personally, I, I, I found that I kind of have a knack for technology. And so that's how I support teachers is I do what I can to help them. And um, what I know is what technology can do for teachers and for students. So what what I try to do is I'm really active on social media. Uh, I spend a lot of time finding resources, playing with things that, that I think uh, teachers would appreciate and use. Teachers have so very little extra time that I try to keep everything concise and easy and things that that that, that are doable for them. So I'll share on Twitter, Instagram, and on Facebook, and. I also found I have a knack for making graphics. So I try to make these technology tips and techniques and tool uh, social media posts. I try to make them really visual and really simple to, to, to follow so that a teacher can see it and say, aha, I see what I see what I can do with this. And now I'm thinking of more possibilities. I can take this and, and run with it. 
Yeah, and I've been the recipient of your posts. Uh, I, fi- I find them super helpful. And you're right. You're very thoughtful with how you post. They're concise, short, get to the point. Here, take this, use it. Um, so it's great. So thank you for doing that. What's been a challenge as you seek to support great teaching? Uh, a challenge? Well, since I work with, with teachers really everywhere across the world, um, and particularly in the United States, the, the challenge is that some school districts, you know, they they ban certain technologies or they have to only use Microsoft for things. And and so I, a challenge for me is rising above the tools, though it's that's not always easy because sometimes the, the, the tool really dictates what you can accomplish. But rising above the tools and talking more in generality. Oh, well, in a slideshow program, you could do this. <laughs> uh, the problem is when you talk in generalities, then sometimes nobody gets anything out of it because you don't have the, the specifics that, that can really make a difference. Uh, and so like I, working with a school district and they require any ed tech company that deals that, that students would use, they have to sign a legal contract directly with that school district. And that me and many of the companies say, we don't, we don't do this. We have our own terms of service. We don't have lawyers, the time or the money to sign this contract. Uh, so they don't sign it. And so there's all these tools that the teachers can't use because they're uh, they're banned in the district because for whatever reason there's not a contract with that company, and so that that's a challenge too because there's some really great stuff out there that uh, that not all the teachers can use. It's you know, it always happens on social media. I'll share, hey, check out this great website, and they'll say, oh, that's blocked in my district, or I can't oh, do this. And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> a lot of a lot of other people can use it though, but I'm sorry for for you. Definitely the opposite of open resources and and seeking to collaborate with sort of open arms. But you know, we're not going to pick on them too much. Um, yeah, I mean, so, there there are reasons for student privacy and yeah. data and all that, yeah. but uh, it, it it is. Uh, it is limiting. I was also wondering, so I'm sure you have tons of, you know, success stories, um, you know, helping teachers and this happens. I was wondering if you could just share one um, for us today, maybe a teacher that was struggling and you got to see a, a ton of growth or maybe a teacher that really knew technology and you and you showed them something and they like went in a different direction. Um, it would just be really interesting to hear you uh, share something like that. Yeah, well, I well I immediately think of the the school that I taught at uh, recently for the 2018-2019 school year. I went back to to teach fifth grade after being away from classroom teaching for like 15 years, and so I, I went back and, and taught fifth grade again at a school. My, my kids were starting school too as kindergartners, so I thought, oh, we'll all go back to school. <laughs> and I, I taught with amazing teachers. They're all already really great. Uh, the school has one-to-one Chromebooks, so every every kid has a Chromebook and a Google account. So what was really neat was that over those 15 years, I have been developing this, you know, my my, my toolbox uh, of tricks uh, for, for technology and for project-based learning and uh, ways to facilitate collaboration and, and global connections with kids. And so it was really fun to see my colleagues who were awesome teachers and I learned so much from them. 
that they I was able to help them see different ways of using the technology that kids already had at their fingertips and reaching a bigger audience and and doing things that uh, made a difference and making products that the students could really care about. Uh, I weave those in in my own classroom and, and then also with with my colleagues all year long. Like we would learn to make really quality slideshows. We would learn to make animated GIFs. We would learn to record podcasts. We'd learn to make videos. And so I weave those in. And then at the end of the year at, at this school, it's an international baccalaureate school. And at an IB school in fifth grade, students do exhibition, which is a culmination of all their years in, in the primary years program. And they do some research and based on research, they take action. And it was such a cool experience because we had given the students, all the fifth graders at the school, the tools to uh, express themselves and to make a difference. So we got to see some of them making videos, some making animated GIFs, others putting their slideshows to work and making cool flyers and just grabbing from this toolbox that now my students had built and letting them, uh, letting their research guide what actions they were taking. And it was, it was so neat to see. For instance, there was one group that uh, they discovered in Iowa, it is uh, only a misdemeanor for animal abuse when most of the country, that would be a, a, a felony. And so they, they researched to find out why that was and, and how to change it. Uh, they went to the Humane Society and made a little... Um, public service announcement video. They created stickers that once people signed a petition that they sent to the state legislature that they would like a change in the law, they made stickers that, that said uh, this animal abuse should be a felony and people could wear them after they sign, sign for the stickers. Uh, and, and just I had for our fifth graders there, they worked in groups of about uh, three or four students each. We had so many ways that our kids made a difference with things that they cared about and the technology really supported that. And again, it was neat to work with my colleagues and, and help them uh, help their students pull off some really amazing uh, exhibition projects. That project does sound amazing. Thanks for, for sharing that. Um, on your website, you have a you have a great blog post about creating a class brand together. It was a it was a great read. Can you tell the story of that for our listeners that maybe haven't read it yet? Oh yeah, this is something I knew that whenever I'd go back in the classroom, this was going to happen. Uh, you know, and uh, some of my close closest friends are teachers, and they spend all summer figuring out what is the theme of my classroom going to be. You know, for the year, how am I going to decorate the classroom? And I just always thought that the students should have a say in that. So we started off the school year um, under construction because I couldn't just like not have some sort of theme or, you know, something cool going on in the classroom when students walk in. So I had construction tape and cones. And the first time they met me at Meet the Teacher Night, I was wearing a construction vest and hat. <laughs> and they went to the different cones to complete different tasks for, for me, the teacher. But I also told them that we will be under construction the first couple weeks of school as we work together to build our brand. 
So building our brand together involved getting to know each other so that we knew what we had in common and what our interests were. And then studying other brands to see what what that's all about, you know. So they would look at, at, at the, like Target, and they would notice what the logo is like, and then they use consistent colors. So they studied brands, and we really came together and learned to come to a, a consensus on what our brand might be. And through getting to know each other and making slideshows about themselves, uh, my fifth graders they they all loved animals, like really like more than fifth graders typically do we they loved animals completely and then also they love computers uh fortnite was a big deal minecraft was a big deal uh they and anything they could do on a computer was just totally up their alley so then we brainstormed uh, different ideas of what could possibly go into a logo and what a brand name could be the process is kind of messy, but we but it turned out to be so awesome. So we, uh, through through this two week process, we named ourselves the Pixel Paws, Pixels because of our love of technology, and Paws because of the love of animals. And then we got to work making what our logo might be after studying different logos, and it's this pixelated paw that's on a shield. Uh, the the Fortnite players in my room really wanted some something of Fortnite represented in there. So that shield is like the Epic Games logo shield that you shape that you see when the game starts. <laughs> and we have a pixelated font and then we have that paw and then we figured out a color scheme. And so I put that pixel paw everywhere <laughs> and my class was then known as the pixel paws. We had a slogan of, of big or small, we're kind to all. Oh. And so we, we wanted to live up to that. And really, my class was full of people who were kind. And when they weren't, they knew that that was what they were striving to be, is that we, we were all striving to be as kind as possible. Hmm. And so instead of saying, fifth graders, do this, I would always say, yeah. pixel paws, do this. Good morning, <laughs> pixel paws. We, were, we, were, we, had, we had t-shirts, I 3D printed keychains and necklaces and cut out stickers. So we had all sorts of pixel paws merchandise too, um, knowing that we were pixel paws. And every single one of my students was on board with that brand because of the process that we went through and, and consensus building and, and, yeah. and that. And so, you know, it'd be a lot easier if I just came in and said, oh, we're going to be the Vincent Vikings. And look, I got Vikings up all over the room. Mm -hmm. But it was so much more meaningful to build it with my students. Great way to start off the year. You know, I'm sure you grabbed their attention from the get-go with, you know, with your construction outfit, but then including them in the process. And like you said, it, it was probably super messy and time-consuming. Like it took a lot of time, but the end product, I mean, how valuable was that? Like what you guys created as a project, but then also the environment that you build. There's probably tons of other, you know, benefits from that. That's wonderful um, that you did that. Uh, another big part of your work is Shapegrams. What is Shapegrams and how does it connect to classroom learning? Uh, Shapegrams is, is my my passion project. It, it, it is so fun. So uh, Shapegrams, a Shapegram is a, is a Google Drawings document that students make a copy of. And inside of the document is a picture for them to recreate. There's also uh, an instructional video 
and there are uh, some some design tips and some extension activities. So all students need to do is get the link, make a copy, and then go. And then in the videos, I do all the all the teaching for for a teacher. And so they start out easy, and they get a little harder. And they so the first one's this house that's made of like about a dozen shapes. You have to put a put a square for the for the main part of the house and make it red and then some more squares for the window and then a rectangle for the door and a circle for the knob so they they learn how to make colors and then the next one is this face that has a tongue sticking out and you learn about more shapes there's an ice cream cone a lion a robot and and they they get a little harder every time until at the end they're making like these uh plastic figurines of themselves and they're tracing picture real life pictures of animals and turning them into cartoons and then making them look like stickers and this 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 process is is one that I had tons of success with when I taught 5th grade I I made shape grams originally uh, for my actually originally to teach some teachers in an online class that that I did and then when I taught 5th grade I thought oh it's good for teachers. It's got to be good for my kids. So every week we did them on Wednesday. Every more Wednesday morning, they came in. Their morning message was to make a copy of the newest Shapegram, and they they'd practice. They'd try to recreate it. They'd be frustrated sometimes because it, learning is is a little hard. There is some productive struggle going on to figure out how to make these pictures work. But even after the first few, and then definitely after a year after doing 36 of these, my students could draw anything. So anything they they thought of in their head, they could figure out how to recreate it with shapes and lines and colors. So that meant that when students were making that sticker for uh, that uh, animal abuse should be a felony, the student who designed that sticker, he designed this dog and he made it completely himself. His work was original. It was made out of shapes. He knew how to apply the word art and get the words to really pop on the background of the sticker that was printed. Uh, he had a, another one where students uh, made cartoons of themselves that they put on a flyer that asked uh, future parents not to smoke. So, you know, how could you how could you deny the the simple request of these kids that have drawn themselves out of shapes? <laughs> uh, we were studying the water cycle, and then I asked them to put together a drawing of the water cycle, and they could all do it from scratch because they had these skills. And then when they draw something themselves, uh, then they can change the color. They can even take it a step further and animate it, make things move using different tools. So I just loved what it could do for, for my fifth graders that school year that uh, then I thought, well, I, I want this in more classrooms. I had so much success with it and these were so fun that it needs to be further or needs to be out there. So I've refined them. I didn't have videos originally when I did them with my fifth graders. Uh, so I've added inst- the instructional video so that busy teachers can just grab these and go and maybe use them like I did once a week, have students uh, try out a shapegram and the teacher can be free to do other things because everything is self-contained in this one document. Uh, it, it, it's just been so fun. And now it's really neat to see, I've, they've been out for about a year now to see what teachers in classrooms have done and they're geared for kind of third grade and up, though some second grade teachers have been using them too. Uh, just 
our world is so visual and we want students to be able to take what they what they have in their head and be able to get it out into the world to communicate it and giving them the the drawing tools and the techniques to do it uh, is so helpful and uh, even though this is in Google drawings they can apply this to to really any other software that has some drawing tools in it Google slides or keynote powerpoint they'll the the key piece is that they start to see everything as shapes and as something that they can draw. About how long, and I know it varies, but about how long does it, it take to create a shape gram and, um, and about how many shape grams do you currently have? Yeah, if they watch the video, the videos are usually between like six and 10 minutes long. And then when they try it themselves, it's probably about a half hour. Okay. Though some of the later ones, there are 36 of them. Some of the later ones are very involved and they can, they can take, they can take longer because they're just, they're pretty complicated. Okay. So maybe up to like a couple hours. Yeah. Now thinking about the shape grams and I love it, the hands-on interacting with technology, being creative. What are some skills um, that the students or teachers, if they're doing it, uh, learn from this process? Well, I think the number one thing is problem solving, trying to Mm. figure out what shapes were used and fitting them together just right. That takes some trial and error, some problem solving, and some some, some thinking about what's there. Uh, But then they, they learn, you know, basic some basic technical skills how to layer the shapes how to change the border uh, how to later on how to how to add a little bit of perspective by changing size keyboard shortcuts um, and then working with with uh, getting more advanced even like uh, using hex color code so that they can make anything any color even if it's not in the color palette giving things a glow with a drop shadow. <laughs> so they, they, there's actually on shapegrams.com, there's a new blog post where I spell out the scope and sequence of the 36 shapegrams. And you can see every single one, there's a, there's a couple new skills that, that are introduced. And then students are always practicing other ones that, that were introduced earlier. Yeah, I saw that on on there, and it's super meticulous. You really lay it out, the different skills that you'll develop as you go on. If there's teachers listening uh, right now, and they want to say, and they're saying to themselves, yeah, I need to do this in my classroom. This will be super helpful for the students. They'll be engaged. They'll be creating. They'll learn new skills. How would they go about bringing it to their classroom? Yeah, if it, head on over to shapegrams.com and click Get. And the first four are absolutely free. There's no account needed or anything. You can go to ShapeGrams 1, uh, click, uh, you can either click to copy the link that you can then give to students and they make a copy, or the teacher can uh, make their own copy. And if you, I always invite teachers, if they want to modify anything about the ShapeGram before they give it to their students, they're welcome to do that. And then if if the first one's a success, you know, students have to have Google accounts. So that's one thing. Uh, they work best on a laptop. On an iPad, you've got to have a keyboard and mouse with your, with your iPad. Otherwise, it, the experience just isn't going to be, <laughs> be great at all. Uh, but, you know, if it works, it works in your context, then try number two, try number three, try number four. And then after number four, if you think it's really awesome, then uh, there's... You can become a member, and for $35 a year, you get access to all 36. 
and I'm in the process. I have tons of windows open on my computer right now where I am planning new shapegrams. I'm also going to add posters to each one so that the skills that they learn, teachers can either put this up you know, virtually in their Google Classroom or print them out and put them up in, in a physical classroom and, and have some more references. So uh, I just... I just, I want to support teachers and this is a way that, a unique way that I think I can offer some help to teachers while giving students something really awesome and fun to do. And at the same time, they're learning skills that they may not get anywhere else. Tony, this, this has been great, but we're getting to the end of our conversation here. Before we do, who do you want to give a shout out to? I want to give a shout out to somebody who I've just been really tweeting a lot of her stuff lately. And that's Dr. Catlin Tucker. Uh, she's Catlin underscore Tucker on uh, Twitter. And her website is catlintucker.com. But she writes about blended learning. And so, of course, with what's going on with schools right now and a lot of distance and virtual learning happening, she just is awesome. She has ways to organize uh, distance learning, blended learning. I just, I just learned so much from her just all the time, every time she makes a new blog post. So, so I want to give her a shout out. Now it's time for the final word. What would you like to say to close out this podcast? <laughs> well, at the end of every shapegram, I say the same thing. So I'm going to use that as my, my final word too. But when it, when it comes to, to teaching and, and with technology, there's a lot out there. There's a lot of times that we might might fail, but we can keep trying. So my, my final words is that you got this. Tony, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me on Diving Deep EDU. I appreciate your time and I appreciate you sharing your insight. To those listening, thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Diving Deep EDU. If you like this episode, subscribe, share it out post a review on apple podcast all of those things will help get this podcast out to more people until next time wow it's time to reflect that's astounding you've been checking out the podcast from matthew downing hope you like diving deep like a scuba diver and the show provoked hope that's our true desire 